Funds People Podcast, a voz dos profissionais de investimento. Olá, seja bem-vindo a mais um podcast de Funds People. A economia de subscrição já faz parte do nosso dia-a-dia, -dia, nos vários serviços que contratamos, mas hoje vamos olhar para este tema numa perspectiva mais de investimento. Temos para isso connosco o Ali Dazar Atalá, ele é co-gestor do fundo Thematic Subscription Economy, um produto da Natixis Investment Managers, e a liderar esta conversa temos connosco o Carlos Pinto, gestor de carteiras na Optimize Investment Partners. Esperemos que esta conversa lhe seja útil. Carlos, please, go ahead. Muito obrigado, muito obrigado Margarida. Uh, boa tarde a todos. Hi, Walid. Uh, I'm Carlos Pinto. As Margarida said, I'm a Portfolio Manager and Fund Selector at Optimize Investment Partners, uh, an independent asset management company based in Lisbon, specialized in management of the mutual funds and discretionary accounts that um, serves institu institutional and uh, retail clients. Uh, you're looking for our strategy, the disruption thematics or uh, the new trends that will present the new economy. So, the, the subscription economy is more than a relevant topic for this interesting conversation. Uh, I will start our conversation to ask you uh, to define the, the term of the subscription economy on the, the broader way. Okay. Uh, hello, Carlos. Uh, so, basically, when we talk about the subscription economy, uh, it's an investment team where we are interested in the companies that monetize their products and services through a subscription. And logically maybe the champions in that uh, thematic are the likes of Netflix and Spotify for instance uh, we expect that this market as of today is uh, is worth 650 billion dollars it's supposed to grow at 18% CAGR over the next uh, five year to reach 1.5 trillion US dollars uh, by the year 2025 uh, and this growth will come by first of all because the companies that are already in the uh, um, in, under the subscription economy model will grow faster than the rest of the market and on top of that we expect many other industries to come and shift towards that investment model and we expect also this theme to inscribe itself uh, over the long run because it's underpinned by three growth secular driver, so long-term driver. First of all, it's technological innovation. The second would be changes in consumer preference. And the third is sustainability. And this is why we are really firm believer that this is a long-term trend that should provide value for investors. Okay, fair enough. Um, um, I have the perception that uh, nowadays, the generality of the companies uh, mainly related with services are implementing subscription services. But is, is it is possible to frame this topic as a specific thematic and not to be more um, broad to generality of the, the companies? Listen, um, it is obvious that there are industries that will never be considered as subscription. But since we're talking about services, it's going to depend actually on what the consumer wants. As a consumer, when they subscribe to something, it's something they want to consume on a given period of time. There are services that we, would con we, we want to consume in a punctual manner. Take the example of the restaurant industry. You might not be able to subscribe to that, in to that industry, but basically you can go to the restaurant on a punctual manner. The same could be about the hotel industry, which is a typical uh, service industry. And you want to go there, you, you cannot subscribe for holidays in the end. You're going to go there when you decide to go there. But you mentioned the word services, and I'd like to stress that there are lots of 
product-based companies that are subscription-based. And I can mention two companies here. Both operate in the healthcare industry. The first would be Manicon, which is a Japanese company that offers contact lenses uh, based on subscription. And what's interesting is that this company is unique, first of all, in the world. It's based in Japan. It has more than 1.3 million subscribers. And basically, you're subscribed to the consumer that are contact lenses. You pay a monthly fee you will receive um, um, every month a month worth of consumables to your home, whether it is contact lenses and uh, eye care or contact, contact lenses care. Another one also in the, in, the, in the healthcare industry would be Dexcom. Dexcom is a company uh, that specializes in the monitoring of diabetes. And basically, you subscribe in order to receive to your home whatever sensor you might need uh, in order to you know, uh, uh, monitor your diabetes on a regular basis. So my point here is that, first of all, not all industries in the service industry might shift toward subscription and not all industries within the subscription economy are only subs um, service-based. We have lots of, in lots of companies that are product-based that might be actors within the subscription economy. Claire, um, could you please talk about the industries that uh, you have adopted, that have adopted this new way? Sure. The way we, we, we approach the theme is through two different scopes. The first is from the eye of a consumer and the other is from the eye of, a, of, of enterprises. So let's look at consumers, first of all. And uh, we just did the simple exercise of looking at where are consumers spending in terms of subscription as of today. Obviously, the first two names you might think about are the media streaming uh, giants such as Netflix and Spotify. So basically, this, the industry of media has been... Uh, adopting a uh, subscription for a while now. But you have, again, many industries that are shifting towards that model, like video games, for instance. Take, um, uh, take console manufacturers such as Sony and, and Microsoft with Xbox. They are making you pay a subscription in order to be able to access live services, to be able to play online with, with friends, uh, or even access a library of, of, of cloud-based gaming. Take the example of the connected fitness industry. A few years back, you used to buy a connected watch or even at-home fitness. I mean, you used to buy, buy a bike to, to exercise at home. Now, companies are layering subscription on, on top of that. There's, that's the example of a company such as Peloton that sells connected bikes at your home for which you pay a subscription, and then you would have access to live courses and library of courses. Now, it's something that's really important for us is to dissociate the idea of subscription from the digital world. There's also lots of companies within the real economy that were born as subscription and that also utilize subscription. Think about your gym operator. It is always subscription-based. Your telecom provider, your even some utilities are subscription-based. And I mentioned at the beginning two uh, companies within the healthcare industry. Again, this shows that from a consumer point of view, there's a wide area of industries that utilize subscription, and we expect them to continue to increase as we go forward. Now, from an enterprise point of view, enterprises are big consumers of subscription. I guess the best example would be to look at uh, office softwares. You and I, we are employed and our employer pays a subscription to Microsoft in order for us to have access to Excel, PowerPoint, Teams and Outlook, for instance. We both work in the financial industries. There are, uh, there's, there's a big industry called the data provider and information services that's reliant on subscription. Take the example of Bloomberg. We, we all pay a subscription in order to have Bloomberg. There's a listed company that's called FactSet. And uh, actually, that's uh, actually the, the, the main competitor of Bloomberg. That's subscription-based. Think about MSCI also, 
a company such as MSCI is purely subscription-based. We pay MSCI uh, um, a subscription fee in order to have the breakdown of indices, to, to be able to put forward uh, indices within our presentation and our reportings. It's the same in the legal industry. You're going to find the same in the pharmaceutical industry, in the medical industry. You find subscription in software as a service, in marketing services, uh, listed uh, real estate, real estate listings, and even telemedicine. Again, it's a universe that's really broad-based. It's all about who can afford to use a subscription and what industries can adopt them. And we expect many industries, again, to shift towards that business model. Thank you. Um, uh, we observe some, um, some companies with type of subscriptions diversified. Uh, for example, Spotify. Uh, if, uh, on the one hand, the, with subscription payment um, uh, model to assess streaming music free of the advertisement, um, on the other hand, the model free of charge, but renews provided by advertisement. My question is uh, if this model, the second, uh, free of charge, uh, fits with your screening process. Uh, it, no, it doesn't. So the idea for us, when we call a company subscription-based, it should derive its revenue from a sub subscription payment. Okay. On, on the other hand, if you think about advertisement, it isn't depending on the end consumer itself. Advertising it itself, it's, it's cyclical. So what we're looking for is a company that monetizes something through a subscription. It shouldn't be free. You have to pay in order to have to access. And the way we try to look at it is every company that we're going we're gonna to study and evaluate should have a fixed number or a number, a clear number of paying users and I stress on the word paying, and in front of that, an average revenue per user. This enables us, first of all, to have a very uh, more precise, if you want, evaluation of future revenues and be more precise in the way we value a company. And this is why we try to stray away from everything that's cyclical or that doesn't depend in the end on the subscription-based payment. And this is why I'd say ad ad uh, advertised um, uh, source of revenue for subscription businesses is not something we look at. It could be part of the business itself, but the main and core business should be subscription revenue for that sense. Okay, perfectly clear. In a, in a subscription model, it is crucial for the company that subscriptions are renewed. Um, all these companies prevent consumers from canceling their subscriptions. Sure. Uh, it's a question, first of all, of asking yourself, what are the needs of your clients? And subscription-based companies should put the client at the center of their business model. So what does the client need? First of all, the client wants a product that's convenient. Convenient means easy to use. You can use it wherever you are and whatever platform you are. You're not really confined to one uh, single type of usage. And on top of that, what a client wants is value for the price they're paying. Take the example of Netflix. Uh, a few years back, Netflix uh, membership was around $7. Now it's $14. And this is because Netflix has increased the value. It's, it's, it's providing you for a price you're paying. And us as consumers, we are accepting to pay this price because we feel that the value is fine uh, with regards to that price. On top of that, what a consumer wants, and, and this is very important, is uh, that a service doesn't require any add-ons. What I mean by that is that 
you pay a fixed amount you have access to a, a certain um, uh, uh, volume of services you're not supposed to be able uh, you're not supposed to pay something on top of that to be able to utilize a service or anything and if you think about it uh, it's supposed to be kind of what you call an all you can eat model if you're able to do that and on top of that having a product that evolves through times to respond to the changes in consumer behavior to uh, the, the, the economy itself you won't be able just to limit the churn but actually to increase the number of subscribers you have and grow over the long term. Uh, yes, uh, perfect clear. Uh, my second question regarding uh, your uh, the previous one, but uh, in more deeper, uh, in the more spe uh, specific in the segmented B2C, uh, like, uh, like uh, the case of Amazon Prime, uh, you see that onboarding is much easier and more, and more Impulsive without any barrier to ASICs and cancellation uh, easy the, the same way. Uh, in your opinion, this trend uh, will rise or needs to be more robust by adding some barriers to ASIC, uh, like defining a main meaning period or. And, uh, okay. So basically, uh, Amazon Prime is something that for which you subscribe for one year. But I don't think it's something that's uh, essential for a business to be able to succeed within within that industry. Uh, if you think about it, uh, sometimes you have uh, uh, you have users that are paying for a service that they might not need for a long period of time. And perfect example here would be a company called Chegg within the educational technology space, for which usually when you're a student, you're not going to be enrolled uh, in a service that provides study tools over one year. You're going to use it maybe four to six months. And in that sense, Chegg would have a high, very high churn if you think about it. But that company was able also to increase its reach, having more and more clients, even though the churn is high. So the idea is not really to lock uh, a consumer in, but really to, to be able to provide a service for whenever this uh, consumer wants. But on the other hand, what you can do is propose a more, I mean, a cheaper plan for one year. And this is what businesses offer other businesses. So you can subscribe for a year worth of service at a lower price. And it's beneficial for both the vendor and the company that sells it. A company that sells it would have a longer term uh, client. And you as a client would pay less for a service that you know you're going to use for one year. So basically, it's not about locking in the client. It's about how, what, when does the client want to use a product for how long. Okay. Um, uh, if you look at a company like Apple, uh, essential uh, hardware company, it has been focusing on the services and services circle, uh, namely uh, in subscription model. Uh, actually, I guess currently corresponding approximately 20% of its revenues. Uh, my question is if this percentage of subscription services is investable. Uh, on your criteria, uh, criteria, and, uh, and from what uh, what point do you consider investing? Well, first of all, Apple is obviously a company we're monitoring. It's one of the big names. Uh, I mean one of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, but when it comes to services and subscription, the subscription part within Apple's services segment are basically smaller than the 20%. So you have Apple Plus, Apple Music, and, um, and Apple Fitness. They're, they're still quite small. So we, we're, we're going to wait a bit for them to become much more you know, pronounced within the company's revenue stream. But if you want to ask me, how do we define the companies that are eligible for our investment universe? There are three ways of doing so. The first would be to look at sales. The big proportion of sales should come from subscription. And if they do, 
this company is directly eligible for our universe. A perfect example here would be Netflix with 99% of its revenue coming from subscriptions, for instance. Now, the other part is if sales are not, uh, subscription and sales are not material, we're going to look at profitability. So, and if the profitability stemming from subscription is high, we will, uh, will, will consider adding this company into the universe. And here, a perfect example would be Costco. So Costco is a company for which you pay a subscription in order to go to their huge supermarkets, uh, to their huge warehouse, where you will buy products at a 15% discount versus a Walmart or other supermarkets. And when you look at the top line of Costco, subscription only represents 2% of the sales. Now, when you look at the profit, it's more than two-thirds. So logically, Costco is a company that's making the most of its cash through the subscription itself rather than through selling products. So this is why we would be able to add a company such as Costco within our investment universe. And maybe the third point, and this is really fundamental for us because it would enable us to capture companies while they're transitioning into a subscription model. So companies usually, when they transition to subscription, they, um, they, 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 their valuation becomes much richer due to the visibility they have. And what we try to do is focus on companies that uh, go from little to maybe zero in terms of subscription, and where we see that potentially this subscription um, business will grow much faster than the rest of, uh, of the business. And an example to illustrate that here would be Disney. Disney, a few years back in 2019, had a revenue of subscription maybe of 2%. And as soon as they announced Disney+, Plus, they announced their targets, we understood that Disney+, Plus was become something massive for Disney. And directly, it was eligible for our universe. We did our assessment to see that Disney Plus is going to become something really material. And as of today, Disney Plus is more than 30% in terms of sales for the company, more than 116 million subscribers in less than 18 months. And that would make the company also eligible. So three ways, sales, profit, or transitioning companies. And this is how we, uh, we select or, or add companies into the investment universe. Okay, clear. Um, by undermining these uh, these criteria that you are uh, that you are um, under, uh, which metrics do you use on your equity selection? For example, in terms of uh, style, value versus growth, uh, market cap, PEs, um, churn rate. Listen. Um... We use, logically, we're investing in equity market. We're going to look at the traditional metrics for every company. But we have a set of metrics that are really, uh, um, how to say that, directly involved within subscriptions. For instance, um, we have a, a metric that's called the churn. And the churn uh, is really something important that we look at. The churn is basically how many people are uh, cutting your, their relationship with the vendor. So cutting their subscription or unsubscribing. And when you look at churn, uh, companies, it's, it's, a, it's a metric that companies will do their utmost to keep the lowest possible. So companies will try to keep the churn the lowest possible. And we focus, it's, it's really a metric that's at the heart of our investment, um, in, investment strategy, if you think about it. Why? Because it gives us some insight on the health of the company. When churn goes up, means the company is doing something wrong, or either they're losing uh, some, uh, some subscriber for their competitor, for instance. So companies should focus on keeping churn low, and it's something that we try and derive for every company we have within our investment strategy. Now, another metric we look at, it's uh, a metric called LTV, or lifetime value of a customer. So it's how much revenue a customer would generate for a company throughout their whole relationship, throughout the lifetime of their relationship. And logically, a company should try to maximize this lifetime value. It could do so 
using two ways. First of all, through cross-selling, so adding new services, cross-selling or upselling, uh, having a wider um, wider area of services that it offers, or uh, through increasing the, the actually the lifespan of the relationship of a customer uh, between between them and their customer. So companies should minimize churn, maximize li lifetime value. Now there's a third a metric, and this is really fundamental. It's called CAC, so customer acquisition cost. And it's basically how much a company pays in order to acquire a new customer. And uh, it could correspond to marketing spend. It could correspond to overhead spending that you spend on the sales team. And in the end, logically, what you try to do is minimize the CAC. So we monitor this LTV over CAC couple, where LTV should be much superior to CAC in order for a company to be profitable, to be able to sustain itself on the long run. So you have those three metrics, minimizing churn, maximizing LTV, and minimizing CAC. And if you are able to do that, the company should be able to enjoy the fullest benefits of the subscription-based model. Uh, okay. Uh, regarding these uh, three metrics that you have mentioned, uh, how often do you get this data from your investment companies? Um, I'm going to mainly focus on churn because it's a metric that's much more straightforward. For the other, it's something that we, you can extrapolate either uh, uh, from, from financial uh, statements. And it's not something that usually companies on LTV and CAC, I mean, usually companies uh, disclose. It's more relative to software and, and those kind of, kind of um, industries. But when it comes to churn... Um, It depends on the companies. You have three kind of sources of data in the end. It's either the company discloses it in a very straight manner, a quarterly or semi-annually or annually. Uh, it depends on the company if they want to do it. It's the, it's the case for companies such as Netflix uh, that discloses a churn in the end. But sometimes we can't get it from the company. We can use user re uh, um, broker research that enables us also through re really extensive industry studies to extrapolate some numbers. And this helps us, again, to have a general idea of where the churn situates itself. And lastly, if nobody provides that, we will do the job through uh, studying competitors, uh, through studying the industry itself, and try also to extrapolate a rather uh, precise number when it comes to churn for any given company we have within uh, the, the strategy. Okay. Um, uh, which industries are the most advanced in the process of transformation or uh, disruption? And well, as I said before, you have the traditional industries that were born as subscriptions so or gym industries, for instance. These were not talk about them, but I'd say on the consumer side, uh, there's the media industry. So you had the disruption coming from Netflix. We know that everybody's been, uh, you had what we call cord cutting. So people paying less and less for pay TV. And everybody's been shifting more and more towards the streaming industry. So I'd say in terms of that, we are at the most mature part. And if you think about it, many, many actors in many other industries are trying to become the Netflix, that's how, how they say it, the Netflix of their own respective industries. Maybe another one, I'd say it's the connected fitness industry. We've seen a boom and acceleration. This is again on the consumer side, an acceleration in the year 2020 of uh, connected fitness, fitness at home. And this is something that's become the norm when it comes to those industries. So if I had to pinpoint in the consumer side, I'd pick those two names. But uh, on the B2B side, I pick software as a service. Uh, it's a transition that started at the beginning of this decade, around the year 2010, where companies understood that uh, subscription are a way to go uh, with the likes of Microsoft and Adobe uh, 
spearheading, if you want, this transition. It's the same with information and data provider. MSCI has almost certainly been a subscription business for as long as it has existed. Same could be with Bloomberg or FactSet and so on and so on. So I pinpoint those two industries to be maybe the most advanced when it comes to uh, to the transition. Uh, regarding this, uh, this, this thematic, uh, in the broadcasting TV, do you consider that um, the, the subscription model uh, it runs runs better than uh, the pay-per-view model for uh, for a, a premium content? I think I think both are are, are obsolete. To be honest, uh, the, the, I mean. Pay-per-view is something that has been ex um, experimented by many actors in the end. And what you notice is that the whole industry is shifting towards what we call SVOD, streaming video on demand in the end. The, 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 the traditional uh, TV business has been declining in the U.S. for 2% over the last, I don't know, probably five years. And it's something that we're seeing accelerating. So I, I, I can't pick between those two. If I had to pick one, is really shifting towards the streaming business. You have the like of Comcast that launched a service on Peacock. Uh, you have logically uh, Disney that did the same you have Paramount that's uh, going into streaming we're going to see more and more across the world the US has always had and it how to say that uh, the first mover advantage if you want but if you look at the rest of the world we're going to see the same dynamics occurring there so the traditional ways of looking at TV the cable TV pay TV and pay-per-view are going to decline in favor of streaming for the many reasons we mentioned before more convenient more value for money, more content. And in the end, it's a more personalizable ex experience. You can pick whatever movie you want to watch and, and the, the streaming platform will propose to you whatever other movie you need to watch, etc. So it becomes an experience rather than uh, really being a, a simple consumer that's being fed what you want to you you watch in the end. That's clear. Uh, how many meetings do you have with companies uh, per, per year? Obviously, we try to do as much as we can. Uh, we recently ran the exercise. This is for Thematics Asset Management as a whole. Still quite a small company. But since uh, 2019, we had more than a thousand meetings with management. So what we try to do, uh, and obviously with the, with the recent pandemic, it has become much easier to have meetings with management. So roughly, we try to meet with every management of companies we, have, we might own in the strategy uh, at least once a year. Uh, it's something that's fundamental for us to have more clarity on the strategy, uh, more clarity on the financials themselves. And even what we try to do is meet managements of competitors because it would give you other more insight on, the, on an industry itself and sometimes would help you extrapolate some, some financial information that one management might not be able to say directly. So we try to do as much as we can, but on, on a fun level, uh, on a strategy level, I'm sorry, we, uh, we, we try to meet with every company uh, that might be held in the portfolio at least once a year. Uh, my perception is that uh, nowadays the subscription-based uh, business are more cyclical, but runs to be less uh, cyclical. Uh, what is your perception and uh, how long take to be less cyclical than traditional business? Um, There's, I'd say there's no real timeline. By definition, my opinion, uh, uh, subscription are less cyclical than traditional business. And let me explain to you why we feel that. I mean, for a subscription, you're subscribed, you're tied in the ecosystem, and you're here. It's not, it's not a spending that you do uh, in, a, in a very punctual manner or more discretionary manner. Maybe to explain myself a bit more clearer. 
let's take the example of the year 2020. So I know we had a pandemic. I know the world was almost at a full stop, if you think about it. The subscription-based companies, for them, was a relatively normal year. They didn't see any any drastic shift uh, in their sales. Some some of them saw acceleration. Some of them, yeah, saw some some churn. For the likes of Gym Club, for instance, they saw uh, obviously they were closed, so people were not going to gyms. But members were still within the ecosystem, were still paying. So again, this shows that there's some kind of resilience attached to subscription. Now, if you compare them to I don't know um, a restaurant indu- uh, industry or airline industry their sales were close to zero during the pandemic. So this is kind of cyclical. And when you compare it to uh, a subscription-based business, it wasn't, it wasn't the same. The sales never went to zero in the end. So this shows there's less cyclicality, more resilience within the business. And again, if you look at the year 2020, the subscription economy universe grew, grew its sales by 12%, whereas if you look at the S&P, the growth was around 0%. So there's no really attached cyclicality, I'm going to say, for subscription, rather more resilience, I'm going to say. And it starts from at the begin, as soon as the business and subscription is born. So there's no really timeline to answer your question to when the subscription business becomes less cyclical than a traditional business. Okay. Well, um, the time is up. So I have one uh, last question to finish our, to finish our conversation. Um, which is the first company that comes to your mind uh, that best represents the subscription basis? I'm sure you know which one, which one I'm going to talk about. I know it's widely known by everybody, but it still it remains. I'm going to actually talk about two, but I'm going to talk about Netflix first. It's, it's, it remains the go-to name, the textbook story when everybody wants to go to a subscription. It's a company that started off mailing DVDs for people when DVDs were still uh, something fashionable that rode the technology uh, wave, so cloud and, and the, the increase in internet speed quite smartly and transformed it to, into a streaming business. Netflix started with a bunch of million of subscribers in the US. The average revenue per user was around five to six dollars. Fast forward to today, you have six, 216 million subscribers, an average revenue per user of 14 USD. The company uh, is, has become a, a, a world leader in production. It, it, it spends more than 17 billion in cash in order to generate content. It has done everything right to be the perfect company when it comes to subscription, and it's reaping the benefits. If you look at Netflix today, it's generating cash. Its margins are starting to pick up. It's scaling its business, and it's really the best in class when it comes to that. And maybe another one on the on the business-to-business side, I would pick up Adobe. Um, I was mentioning this transition within the software as a services. Well, it started with Adobe. Adobe in 2012 had little little to zero growth and the company shifted its business towards a subscription-based model what happened sales plunged logically on the first year because subscriptions are are cheaper but what happened if you look throughout time the company is now growing uh, more than 50 uh, more than 20 percent a year so you went from zero to 20 percent since 2012 so over the last nine years, the company has been growing consistently. And on top of that, the company was specialized in the creative side, if you want, of, um, of, of, of software. They also, due to the fact that they were quite successful, were able to add what we call the experience cloud. So everything related to marketing. And as of today, the margins went back in 2012, they were at 
roughly 30%. Now we're going to be something in excess of 40%. So this is again a textbook story of a, of a very good transition. And it's also incited most of the software as a service um, industry to shift towards a subscription model. So I pinpoint those two names. It's very known names, but they're really the best in class when it comes to subscription for sure. Um, thank you very much, Walid, for the time to sharing your insights. Uh, it was uh, very interesting. Thank you, Carlos, for the insight insightful questions. <laughs>